I'm Billy Ray. And I'm Joel. And you're listening to Tales from Wisteria Lane. The podcast where we give a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. Hi guys, I'm Joel. I'm Billy Ray. And welcome to Season 1, Episode 12 of Tales from Mysteria Lane, Everyday A Little Death. Yeah. So today I'll be doing the overview of the episode and B will be doing the trivia. So do you have anything to get us started? Yeah, let's do this. So this episode was written by Chris Black and directed by David Grossman. Okay, at least it's not Gerber this time. Not Fred Gerber. Not Fred Gerber. So the title of this episode, Everyday A Little Death, comes from a song in the Stephen Sodheim musical, A Little Night Music. The German title is Ash on My Mind, and I'm not even going to try and pronounce it. Oh. The Hungarian title is You Die a Little Every Day. (laughs) You do. That is a mood. (laughs) Those were my (laughs) favourites. When I was doing my research, I discovered a um, Desperate Housewives wiki page. I think it's called um, Wistikia or something, or Wistikia. But basically, there's a Wikipedia page dedicated to Desperate Housewives, Mm. and that's where I got some of this from. Okay. (laughs) I got a few bits from the Desperate Housewives Behind Closed Doors books as well. Yeah. So Nicolette Sheridan says that the ashes that she threw in Susan's face in this episode were made of cornstarch. And um, the first time that she threw them, they didn't get enough on Susan's face, so she had to do it again. Apparently, Terry Hatcher, who plays Susan, is actually quite accident-prone, and it went in her eye. Ew, of course it did. But I thought that was brilliant to know that the lady that plays Susan, Terry Hatcher, is also accident-prone. It's perfect. Yeah, it, it's suitable. It's because she's playing the right character. I love it. <laughs> also, Ricardo Antonio Shavira, who plays Carlos, says it was amazing to see someone who looks like Eva pigging out on camera. Apparently... All Eva Longoria does, who who played Gabby, was all she used to do was eat food, and he refers to her as a little furnace. He said he has no idea how she stays in shape, because all she does is eat, and if he ate that much, he'd probably be £240. She looks so good just eating, sitting on a curb and stuffing her face with chicken, and she still looks great. She could be a chicken model. She could be a chicken model. Like a KFC model. Is that like where she dresses up in a chicken outfit? No, no. (laughs) You know know what I meant. (laughs) Anything else? No, that's all I got. Cool. Okay, so just before I start the opening, I just thought I would put the feelers out there and ask. So soon we will be getting to the end of season one of Desperate Housewives, and we will need to start thinking about what we move on to next, whether we move on to season two of Desperate Housewives, or we give ourselves a break from Desperate and move on to a different television series. Yeah, we're just, halfway there now, aren't we, we? We are pretty much halfway there. Episode 12. Um, so obviously, either way, we'll need to contact Louis so that he can start planning some artwork so we're gonna need a little bit of time to get ourselves prepared for what it is that we will be moving on to so if you any of our listeners have any ideas of what you would like us to review then give us a message on our social medias then give us a message and we will throw them into the pot and we will have a think about them we've got some ideas ourselves but it's always nice to get maybe some more ideas that we can sort of throw around the pot and see what grabs our attention. Yeah, we can either carry on with Desperates or we can move on to something else for a little bit. We have plans. We do have plans. We have have a show in mind. We've already got the name idea. Yes. I've got some artwork ideas. Oh, already? Okay. We'll get there. (laughs) Yeah, so throw us some ideas if you have any. 
for now, let's go to Wisteria Lane. Yes. So we what's, what's happening on Wisteria Lane today? Well, quite a bit. <laughs> we start the episode with Mary Alice opening, as per usual, discussing Martha Hubert and how she waited her whole life for something exciting to happen to her. And we get a little bit of info on this. It seems as though Martha has spent a lot of time fantasizing about being kidnapped or swept away by pirates or handsome millionaires, because who hasn't wished to be kidnapped by pirates? Nothing happened, however, <laughs> until the night she was murdered when she realized that life was not only boring but cruel. Uh, Martha is 48 when she dies. It's taken her 48 years to realise that life is boring and cruel and I, I, think I at 27 at like 11. <laughs> yeah, already know this. <laughs> She's a bit late to the game. Just a little bit. We have shirts. We we have shirts. (laughs) We cut to the woods with police officers who have found her body thanks to the helpful little dog at the end of the previous episode. And the police officer there decides to take this moment to talk to the body about just how exciting it will be for her because she will be all over the news. And he thinks he sees her corpse just sort of smile a little bit. Um, you know, I quite like that intro, talking about her as a child. I just, I like character moments like that, where you see kind of what they're like before you, we got to know them. We've had a few um, of those this season so far, haven't we? For a yeah. couple of characters. I think it's cute that, as a kid, she dreamt of exciting adventures and being taken away by sh- swashbuckling pirates and stuff. Like, just to think that she was a bit like everyone else at one point. Yeah, no, I get that. I think, yeah, who hasn't felt that way? Who hasn't <laughs> yeah. just wished to be taken away and gone somewhere else? Or just gone on an adventure. Yeah. Some uncharted location. Yeah, it's very... I mean, I grew up playing games like Tomb Raider, and I always wanted to go to, like, different places and go on adventures. Yeah, and I grew up playing games like Final Fantasy, and mm. so I just wanted to go to fantasy worlds yeah. and live there, because they looked so much more magical and so much more colourful and things. So. And Mrs. Huber did too. She was just like us. She was just like us. We are <laughs> We are Mrs. Huber. <laughs> and now we're just like her. <laughs> God, Except, but... you know, not dead. Anyway, so we move on to the opening credits, and we see a very brief scene of the police officer telling Felicia before the camera moves to Susan heading over to Mike's house and she walks in to ask Mike to take her out to lunch before she sees Edie is there. It appears Mike is meeting with Edie to discuss the plans to rebuild her house now that Edie's insurance company is finally giving her the money. Edie and Susan have some light banter over Mike with Susan ending it by saying that if anyone can go the distance, he can, I should know. And she says (laughs) goodbye to Mike before sticking her tongue down his throat in a clear attempt to try to make Edie jealous and or uncomfortable. Edie's phone then rings and it's Felicia letting her know that Martha has been found. Yeah, I think it worked. I think she felt pretty uncomfortable. Yeah, she did. We all felt uncomfortable. It was a bit too over the top, Susan, I would say. You know, um, Felicia does look pretty shocked and upset when that police officer tells her that they found her sister's body. Mm. Is it an act? Is it an act? Is it an act? Why would it be an act? Because Felicia doesn't really like her sister all that much. She knew that she was going to be found because she knew she was dead. But I'm just wondering if the shock of it all was real. It was very extra. She's very Her, like, dropping the hose and then, like, taking a few steps back and, like, oh, my God. It was very extra. I love Felicia. But I love Felicia. (laughs) She could do no wrong. Uh, Moving on, Lynette is trying to sign her baby and a sick Parker into daycare so she can go to yoga class before being told that it's full and she should have arrived earlier, being told to plan ahead next time. Oof. This annoys Lynette, who goes off on a bit of a rant about how she's a mother of four and she's dragged a baby and a sick child here and it's things like being told to plan ahead that make (laughs) her so crazy that yoga is the only thing that calms her down, but then she gets to class and she is told that she can't go in. This doesn't really phase Lauren, who's the woman that's behind the counter or whatever you want to call it, who really just wants to read her magazine and can't be bothered to deal with any Karens today. Uh, Lynette's phone rings and it's Susan telling her that Martha has been found. 
Lynette really needs to stop taking her anger out on other people. She does. Like, <laughs> Lynette's arguing with this woman who clearly doesn't give a damn. And if you look in the background, the yoga class has already started. Yeah, so she's So late. you're late. You missed it. Better luck next time. And all I can tell you, Lynette, is to plan ahead. Yeah, this is no one else's fault, <laughs> Lynette. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I know you've got a baby and you've got a sick child and that puts you behind. But, <laughs> you know, if you're running late and you know you're going to run late, just do it at home on that occasion. I have to say, though... When I was watching this scene, when that woman said maybe she should plan ahead, that kind of boiled my blood a little bit. I was like, oh, I just want to smack you. I, I see, I, I feel for that woman behind the counter and Lynette's just there, like, giving her one. Like, oh my god, I'm running late and I've got a sick child and blah, blah, blah. And that woman's just like, look, I can't let you in because then I have to let all the other late mums in. And then, so it makes sense. And she probably gets it a lot. Mm. And so Lynette's probably just almost like the straw that breaks the camel's back. And at this point, she just wants to read a magazine. So she'll say anything to shut you up and send you on your way. <laughs> George and Bree pull up outside Bree's house and he helps her out of the car and very chivalrous of him yeah. I would like to point out Bree is clearly trying to close the car doors extra loudly in the hopes of getting the attention of Rex inside the house this eventually works and as soon as she sees him looking out the window she wraps her arms around George who asks her out to lunch on the following day her phone then rings and it's Lynette telling Bree that Martha has been found there seems to be a pattern here yeah Felicia tells, getting told yeah Felicia tells Edie with Susan in the room and then Susan tells Lynette and now Lynette's telling Bree so what was she holding? What was this box? I don't know what this box was and it suddenly disappears. Bree's phone rings once and then she answers it and this box has gone out of her arms. The only way she could have answered that phone that quickly is if she just drops the box. Also, special shout out to Bree's hair in this scene. Oh, it looks so good. Mm. Proper like 50s housewife. proper incredible. It has like the little flicks at the end and it bounces. Yeah. It's so good. It's a good hairstyle. Gabby is outside with Champagne, welcoming Carlos home from prison. I also would like to point out I don't always pronounce it Champagne. He does. Um, shut up. <laughs> Apologising for the cheap stuff as she's had to cut back, but is looking forward to restocking the wine cellar now that he's home. That is, until she finds out that he is on house arrest. And if he leaves the house, then a signal is sent to the FBI who can locate him and send him back to jail. <laughs> this is obviously very upsetting for Gabby, who is looking forward to no longer working and being rich again, claiming that even though she has a modelling job, it's certainly not the same as New York. They toast, she winces at the taste of the cheap stuff, and her phone rings, and shockingly, it's Brie telling her that Martha has been found. I like that they've got all their stuff back. They do. That just appears. Where did that nowhere. come from? I don't know, but they are officially white trash. <laughs> because Carlos has, is it, what do they call them in America? Is it like a scram bracelet or something? I don't know. In America, um, like the ankle bracelet, the, the tag for the FBI. That's a total white trash thing. Like a little yob. Yeah. I, think, <laughs> I swear I've heard them called scram bracelets. And if I'm incorrect, nobody say anything. Because I don't want you pointing out that I'm wrong. <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> Felicia is finishing up with the detective who is asking her to let him know if she finds anything that could help with the investigation. And oh, she I tells this scene. This is one of my favourite scenes of all time. She tells the detective that she believes Martha kept a diary. She opens the door and the whole neighbourhood of day players are outside. The detective tells her they are here to show support, but Felicia knows better, claiming that humans feed off of misery. And with a smile, she gives the people what they want. <laughs> That's one of my favourite lines. She addresses the group, which now include the housewives they seem to have turned up, by thanking them for showing genuine sorrow and that Martha would be so touched. And she quite happily tells them that Martha died a violent death, which takes the group aback. But the good news is, there was no signs that she had been molested. <laughs> she gives this whole speech and everyone looks so shocked because... She's just so blunt. <laughs> With a smile on her face, I'd like to point out. <laughs> she died a very violent death. Happily to know that she was not molested. 
It's one of my favourite lines. Felicia's just so watchable. And the fact that nobody instantly assumes that she killed her sister. I remember when I first watched this scene, almost a year ago now. Or, yeah. Or a year ago. Maybe about a year. I thought it was hilarious and so shocking. <laughs> it's just like, what is wrong with this woman? If I was a person on this street, if I was Edie or if I was a detective, I would immediately be questioning Felicia. <laughs> because she just like, she turns up and she's like, no, Martha's dead. Oh, like, yeah. In the previous episode, uh, this episode, she's like, oh, people feed off of misery. Martha died a really violent death, guys. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, she was a terrible person. <laughs> it's just, that's, that's suspicious to me. Well, I might try and find a clip. Of that bit, that little bit. Yeah. yeah. Shall I see if I can find one? Yeah, sure. Martha died a violent death. Oh. Yes, I know. It's hard to hear. Apparently, there was a struggle. They found scratching and bruising on her body, several broken bones, and traces of dirt in her lungs. But the good news is, there are no signs that she had been molested. I would just like to point out that during this scene, Lynette's reaction is the best face I've ever seen Lynette hold. <laughs> I'm going to need to try and find a picture of that face so I can what, share it on our Instagram. What, just Lynette? Her face, like, just, what the oh hell? God. Just the way Felicia ends it, which is, now I suggest you return home to your loved ones. <laughs> Joel also pointed out watching this scene that there's just this man in the audience who goes, oh. <laughs> she died a violent death. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> yeah, let's could, move on a bit. We could talk about this scene for days, but we're going to move on to the next part of the episode. Yes, so Lynette bribes her children with gum to be quiet so she can play cards downstairs with the ladies. As they are setting up and discussing the murder, the doorbell rings, Lynette answers it, and she finds Edie. And when stating that they're all there, Lynette tells her that Tuesday is poker day. Edie tells the girls that she loves poker and receives nothing but silence back. I kind of feel sorry for her in this scene. It's really awkward. Same, but we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. She moves the subject on, announcing that Felicia isn't doing anything to memorialise Martha, and she's taking her ashes up to a lake to scatter them, hoping that the neighbours will join her and they can have a ceremony. All the housewives come up with excuses so as not to go except Susan. When Edie calls this out, Susan gives a lame excuse of being busy, and Mm. Edie leaves by saying that her friends are much better liars than she is. Oh, this scene. Yeah. Lynette comes back upstairs to check on her boys after the girls leave and find that they have put gum in Parker's hair. So not only is he ill, but he's now got gum in his hair. This poor kid. We get a cute little scene between Lynette and Parker where she tries to remove the gum from his hair and he starts to tell her that he thinks she's the best mum in the world and she fixes the situation by shaving his head. He's such a sweet boy. He is really sweet. And it's just a really sweet scene between the two. You don't really get to see scenes between Lynette and her children that are really... No, you do get some with Parker in the future a bit more often though, don't you? Like... Yeah. Out of all the kids, Parker. Parker's definitely a, a mummy's boy, as yeah. they call it. He's very close to his mum. I will take that. I was very... Well, I didn't really have a choice. <laughs> Combing gum out of a child's hair does not look fun. It does not that look fun. That looks like the least fun thing I've ever seen. Not fun at all. We should try it. My hair's long enough. Yeah. Put gum in my hair and then we'll try Back to this poker scene as well. Yes. All of the ladies exchange glances when Edie walks in, and then when she says about how she loves poker and they're just completely silent, they hate her. They really hate her, and I feel really sorry for Edie in this scene because she's clearly reaching out. Yeah, and then obviously she talks about the memorial, and none of them can come, they're all making excuses. Yeah, like her only friend on the street is dead, and all you guys are just like, you love poker? Cool. They don't want to go, even though they were just saying she was murdered on our street. Yeah. The ladies suck in this scene. Bree is in the park with George having a picnic. Yeah, George. Well, oh, 
Uh, and while they are chatting, he takes her hand, and this clearly doesn't sit well with Bree, who awkwardly checks her watch and suggests that they end the lunch so that George can go back to work on time. God. Before leaving, he pulls out a present, and it's a gun! This seems to be the way to Bree's heart. She's very touched by the gesture, and Bree, still sitting in the park, begins aiming the gun, because it's America, and why wouldn't you just <laughs> aim a gun in a public park? George puts his hand on Bree's thigh, and then she puts her hand on his. So the way to Bree's heart is a gun. I, I made a note of that. Bree just casually holding out this gun right in the middle of the park. Look, right in the middle she of the park. Even aims it so she can look down the barrel. Yeah, the safety might be on, it might not be loaded, but you are in a public park with people around and you are just pulling out this gun and aiming. You might be part of the NRA, but... They don't know it's an antique vintage gun. It was also a really nice gun. Yeah. Uh, Susan sees Felicia from across the street, who seems to be bringing out boxes of Martha's stuff, I'm guessing, and she offers a hand to Felicia, who promptly turns it down, appearing to be quite suspicious mm. of Susan. Susan gives her condolences, and Felicia tells her that she hopes Martha's journals will give some insight as to what could have happened, and apparently Martha has kept them for years. Worry visibly appears on Susan's face as Felicia tells her that every detail of not only Martha's life, but everyone else's will be in them. The police want them, but Felicia is stalling so she can read them first and no embarrassing family secrets can be found out. She knows. She knows. Felicia, Felicia knows. knows. Susan relays this back to Julie in a panic, worried that the fire and the measuring cup drama will be in the journal and people will find out she burnt down Edie's house. Julie advises Susan to just go to Edie and come clean and beg for forgiveness. <laughs> I want to know the family secrets. I guess we'll find out. Will we find out? I just, I don't know. I'm eager to find out what kind of dirt this family has. They probably murdered their parents or something. <gasps> That'll be a gag. <laughs> Also, are you high? Edie hates me. That was Susan's words to Julie. Ask yourself why. I wonder why that is. Susan, why could Edie possibly hate you? <laughs> what have you done? Mike comes home and finds that his house has been broken into. He runs straight to his kitchen to find that his gun, cash and information have all been taken and it appears to be Noah Taylor who has taken it all. But he left Mike a nice voicemail just letting him know and telling him to pack up and move and apologising for the mess. More of that dark Mike mystery. What is he up to? Yeah. So this is, this is the guy from the previous episode who doesn't like children. <laughs> yeah, and it seems to be that like the jewellery that Paul planted in Mike's garage hasn't been found yet. Oh yeah, that was That a was the end point. of the last episode, I think? That was a plot point, wasn't it? That yeah. was really brought up, really. So um, we've seen Paul hide it in there, but people are just going about their day, so I'm guessing Mike hasn't noticed that yet. But at least it wasn't just a casual mugging. <laughs> a casual mugging? Yeah, just like, you know, mugging the house. Oh, yeah, true. That is true. No, instead it's just Noah breaking in, leaving a mess. <laughs> just taking back his own property. Yeah, well, he's polite enough to apologise. <laughs> sorry, had to raid your house. Yeah, sorry, I apologise for the mess, but <laughs> I suggest you just get on with your life, Mike. What a polite criminal. <laughs> So, Lynette is back at the yoga class with Baby and Sick Parker, but this time she is 10 minutes early. However, apparently she just missed the rush. Lauren then notices that Parker is bald, assuming that he has cancer. I'm not even going to sugarcoat this. Assuming he's got cancer, she takes pity on Lynette and tells her to go into the class and she can fit her kids in. And instead of being honest, Lynette decides to forgo telling the truth so she can go yoga. Yeah, I have, I only wrote one thing here in my notes. I just wrote, yikes. Right. Lynette knows it isn't right. And there is a moment where Lynette almost tells Lauren that it's a mistake understanding and then she realizes actually i could go with this and get into yoga yeah instead of becoming more organized in my life and blaming others for my own mistakes i can just pretend my child has cancer right like just Fantastic. do yoga at home or ask one of your friends to babysit for a couple of hours just so that you can have a moment to do yoga that might not be possible but you can at least ask <laughs> but instead you shave your kid's head pretend he's got cancer and go into yoga class Lynette, please. Don't, Season one is not doing you any favours. Don't be like Lynette, people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't. Don't ever be like Lynette. Oh my gosh. Susan visits Edie's building site for her home, expressing envy for the fact that she gets to redesign her entire house for free. And she even takes it a step further by telling Edie that her house burning down was really a good thing. Right. Edie... 
Shockingly, does not share the same level of enthusiasm for the situation, however, and asks Susan if there is something that she wants. Susan claims she just wants to see how she's holding up with the news of Huber, and eventually she offers to go with Edie to spread her ashes. Susan's like, I envy you, and Edie replies, in the name of God, why? <laughs> I'd like, Susan, just stop. I only, I have one thing to say about that, and I'm gonna say it, I'm gonna play it right now. Edie says. A little record scratch. <laughs> I wanted to make it sound like a proper sting. Susan, you're trying to suck up to Edie, and this is not the way to do it, so just stop. Edie doesn't like you, and she has every right to be annoyed at you. Gabby comes home with fried chicken and hands it to Carlos before he pulls her in and gives her a shoulder rub. Carlos strongly believes that Juanita will wake up soon, and she'll be really happy to wake up to the news of a grandchild. And once again, this upsets Gabby, as she's been very clear that she does not want a baby. She likes her lifestyle, and a baby would kill it. Carlos believes that their lifestyle is already dead and that is nothing she can control and she tells him that she can control having a baby and she can certainly control him. And he replies by claiming that he is still the man of the house and she cannot talk to him like that. God, she poked her nerve there. She did. Gabby then grabs the fried chicken and storms out of the house, crosses the road, sits on the curb and eats his food knowing full well that Carlos cannot go any further and so he cannot get her. Because of his beliefs. Because of his scram bracelet thing, whatever <laughs> you want to call it. This is such a power play. So, like, first of all, Gabby's dress is stunning and it really goes with her skin tone. And the house is a mess. Yeah. Like, in this scene, where Gabby comes home, it's just a mess. So where's Yowlin? I'm assuming they've had to let her go. Carlos, you've been home all day. Literally. You could at least do some cleaning. You're not bed-bound. Right. Gabby has so much power in this moment, and she loves it. You're the man of this house. You can't even leave it. Right? Oh! <laughs> It was a fun, it's funny. I love watching Gabby and Carlos go at each other. Anyway, Bree's taken George to a barn so she can teach him how to shoot. They're setting up bottles while George is thanking her for getting him out of the house, claiming he's forgetting what it feels like to be lonely. This is cute. Bree is teaching George the basics of firing a handgun. She then passes the gun to George and puts her arms around him to help him get into position and grasp the gun correctly. George compliments Bree on her perfume and she replies telling him that she isn't wearing any, but that she was making macaroons before she left. As she prepares George to fire the gun, he turns his head and tries to kiss her on the cheek. This shocks Bree who pulls George's arm down and he fires a bullet into his foot. <laughs> I like this. Bree is so giddy about shooting guns. She's like, no, come on, let's shoot. Let's go shoot something. I, yeah, she's so excited. I love the the big difference between Bree shooting and standing there like, I was baking macaroons before I left. Mm. Like, it's just, this is such a huge juxtaposition. He's like, oh, you smell amazing. And she's like, I'm not wearing perfume. I was making macaroons before I left. And she's there with a gun in her hand. <laughs> Bree looks so powerful in this moment. She's holding that gun. She's aiming it. She's got that perfect stance. Yeah. She's looking in charge. I will say, the way George is speaking rings alarm bells for me. This is where you were like, oh, this is really cute. And I was like, no. I mean, because of Bree. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Not because of George. He's a psycho. Well, we don't know yet, but... He's a bit weird. He's just a bit weird. He gives a woman a gun as a present. You know, he's... And there's the things that he says. So right in this scene, it's, oh, I just want to say thank you for finally getting me out of the house. And I'm starting to forget what it feels like to be lonely. And little comments like that would ring alarm bells for me. Because that's like, oh, that's like creepy psycho vibes. (laughs) It depends how often he says it. Yeah. It's all right in this moment. But if he does it on another day, I'd like... Consistently. I'd be like, ah, okay. <laughs> Don't you leave the house? What? So we quickly move into the hospital where Bree is bringing George some flowers and apologising for him losing his toe. <laughs> that's that's the result. <laughs> George appears to be upset that he shot off his toe as he was kissing Bree, but claims he isn't surprised as this sort of stuff always seems to happen. He'll get over the loss of his toe, but what he won't get over is the fact that Bree pulled away as he tried to kiss her. It appears that he doesn't understand why Bree would be shocked at receiving a kiss from a man that she is dating, and she clearly doesn't think it's appropriate as she's still married to Rex. 
that and I reckon she still sort of loves Rex a little bit. Oh yeah. There's definitely still feelings there. She warns George that he shouldn't listen to a woman who has just had her heart broken as they tend to lie. We do, George. We really do. This is really awkward because it's kind of showing that Brie is using him as a rebound and it's awkward to watch. It is really awkward to watch. Because you know that she's kind of in the wrong here. She shot off his toe and she's now admitted to him that she's using him as a rebound in a moment in George's life where he can't run after her because his foot's bandaged and he's stuck in bed. (laughs) I love that she shot off his middle toe of his left foot so his left foot constantly looks like the Star Trek hand gesture. (laughs) The Vulcan salute. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Lynette is back at yoga class and this time she's using the fact that they think Parker has cancer to her advantage. She picks him up, she carries him in, she removes his hat and he walks up to Lauren claiming to have had a tough morning. I mean what's next if if you're gonna stoop to this level? Right, Lynette can't really do much else shocking. She's (laughs) left her kids on the side of the road, she's pretending they've got cancer, she's been taking their drug medication. (laughs) Like, Lynette. <laughs> I really thought the first time we watched this season, like the very first season, Susan was the one that came off quite poorly. But upon rewatching, Yeah, Lynette. <laughs> it's really Lynette. She was my favourite when I first watched. Like, out of the main four. I don't know. Well, I don't know why. I, I don't know. Maybe you just found she, her to be the most relatable. She still is. I do love Lynette. <laughs> she's yeah. just so bad. Yeah, she's not great. So, Susan is changing Edie's tyre and they are discussing high school. Edie correctly guessed that Susan was a cheerleader, popular, pretty, smart. Whilst Edie hung out with the losers that everyone hated and smoked. Although Susan seems to think that they have left high school behind, Edie disagrees, claiming that she is still an outsider who doesn't get included, and Susan is still the perky cheerleader who's pulling the wool over her eyes. Mm-hmm. Your poker games really show that. Yeah. Oh god, it really does. It appears as though Edie can tell that Susan has an ulterior motive and she sort of wants something from her. Edie threatens Susan by telling her that she won't be getting back into the car until she tells her what she wants. Susan replies by saying that she hasn't always treated Edie well and just wants to start making amends, and Edie still doesn't believe this, but she lets it slide as they're in a rush. That's because Edie is in intuitive and clever. Like, Edie is intuitive and clever and it's a nice scene. I like it a lot actually. Because we get to see a bit more humanity from Edie. Yeah. Like how it does genuinely seem to hurt her that she's left out of the group. And also, Edie, in the previous scene when she was asking everybody, told you Susan that the dress was semi-formal, so what are you wearing? Right. That is more casual. Yeah. 100%. I understand it wasn't planned. You you just sort of said, oh, I'll I'll go with you Edie. But still, you're going to a memorial of some kind. Make an effort. I think that the other ladies really underestimate Edie. I think they do underestimate Edie as well, yeah. She's smart. She's smart, she's sexy, she's savvy. Also, Edie was totally you in school. Just hanging out with the freaks and smoking. <gasps> I did not smoke in school! Oh, well, I could... Uh, when she said it, I was like, <laughs> that's Joel. Also, calling my friends freaks! <laughs> you are freaks. <laughs> we are freaks, yeah. We're all freaks. Yeah. Me, me and my friends are freaks. Um, yeah, no, to be fair, I was Edie. I was not the pretty popular one. I was the, the misfits that hung out with the other misfits. <laughs> and I did not start smoking until a few years ago. It's fine. And now I've stopped. That's how I met my friends. What, smoking? No, 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 no. (laughs) The freaks find each other. We do find each other. We flock to each other like birds. We do, that's why we're together. (laughs) Yeah. Mike has come to visit Noah in the hopes of getting everything back, telling him he will never find someone who cares as much about finding Deirdre. Noah does not believe this, as Mike abandoned her and moved on and left her to rot. Mike gets physical with Noah, claiming that he needs to do this and he doesn't know why Noah is fighting him on it and it turns out that Noah has a brain tumour and is running out of time and Mike is just going a little bit too slow. Oh, just like Parker. Oh! Yeah, at least Noah ain't bald. Okay, so Deirdre is Noah's daughter who was Kendra's sister. And what now appears to be 
Mike's ex. Yeah. So Noah Taylor is running out of time. He's got a brain tumour and he wants to find out what's happened to his daughter. Yeah. Lynette has just finished her yoga class feeling all relaxed and refreshed when a friend of Lauren's turns up to meet Parker claiming she is a survivor and <laughs> wants to hug her son. I don't know why I air quoted that. Like, that's so disrespectful of me. Um, Lynette sees that there's no way out of this and allows it and the woman gives Parker a little pep talk calling him brave and a tough little soldier. And Parker looks confused poor before Parker. asking... Poor Parker. <laughs> before asking Lynette if he's dying. There's a visible... It is literally a visible struggle within Lynette for a brief second of whether she decides to allow Parker to think he's dying so that she doesn't come across like a massive like dick <laughs> or to just come forward with the truth and face the judgment and embarrassment from everybody in the room and ultimately she decides to be honest telling Parker that he isn't dying and that they just think that because she shaved his head and Lynette leaves with a simple sorry. She kind of has this look on her face as if to say like well I didn't say he had cancer. Yeah like she's like <laughs> self-righteous she's just like well I didn't start this. Like, like you just assumed that's on you. <laughs> I'm just, no offence to, was it Callie or something? Yeah, it was Callie. No offence to Callie, but she comes in and is like, I'm a survivor. And I'm just like, love, you're certainly surviving the real world with a haircut like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> Poor Parker. He's just like, am I dying? You said it was just a cold. Lynette might as well have not said sorry. Mm. Because that sorry was so disingenuous, she might as well have just left. Yep. Without saying a thing. She just looks at the woman and goes, sorry. I've never been more proud of Lynette in this moment. <laughs> just walks out. How can you say you're proud of Lynette? This is horrible. Because this her... is reprehensible. <laughs> it's just her face. Her. Well, I didn't. I didn't say he had cancer. That face, passing <laughs> the buck. <laughs> God, poor Parker. I feel so embarrassed for him. Yeah, but he'll get over it. He won't even remember this. This isn't her best moment. No, is this it? isn't. This will be one of those family stories that Lynette tells at Christmas in like twenty years' time. Oh God. Okay, George hobbles up to Bree, who's gardening on her doorstep. Hobbles. <laughs> what he does? He's got the crutches. Hobbles up to Bree. He tells Bree he doesn't care if they date or if they just remain friends, but he just wants their friendship back. Bree tells George she doesn't think it's wise because she believes that he will hope that she will return his feelings and eventually telling George that she can't. He tries to leave, but Bree wants him to stay so they can talk. Grabbing him by the shoulder, he loses his balance on his crutches and he falls to the floor. <laughs> she offers him a hand, but he screams at her saying that he doesn't need her, he doesn't need anybody. Poor George. I mean, I think... Maybe it's best if you do stay away from Brie because yeah. she seems to be hurting you a lot. Like, it's just one thing after another. First, he, you know, gets shot in the foot and then he falls, like, Brie practically knocks him over. Yeah. I feel really badly for George. And she nearly crushes his hand with the car, like, boot. She probably doesn't, but... But George is so desperate. It creeps me out. Why are you so desperate to have her friendship back? Why? Maybe pharmacists don't have very social lives. Probably not. Who knows? No, probably not. So Carlos is sad because he believes he's going to jail and Gabby won't be here waiting for him when he returns. He asks Gabby to promise that she will wait for him and never leave if he does go to jail for five years. She does promise, although it doesn't really seem very convincing. And Carlos is a smart man, so he must know that I promise was fake. Oh, he can see right through that. He can clearly see right through that. She just goes, I promise. Only five years? I thought it was going to be way more than that. I was expecting way more than that. It's like, I could go to jail for five years. And I'm just like, mate, you were harboring slave... Slaves. What a slave labour. Yeah. I, I thought it was going to at least be ten. <laughs> yeah. No, apparently not. Um, Susan has rowed her and Edie out to the middle of the lake so that Edie can scatter Martha's ashes. <laughs> it's the scene. It's the scene. Edie takes a moment to say goodbye to Martha and gets emotional. <laughs> You're an ugly crow. Uh, she tells Susan that she's grateful to her as she has been a bit of a bitch to her over the years. She calls Susan a good person and feels bad for suspecting that she has an ulterior motive. Susan <laughs> disagrees and tells Edie that she's not that bad and that Susan is not that good. Martha may be gone, but the good lord above has shown Edie that she's not alone and she has a friend in Susan. What? Right? She reaches out, takes Susan's hand and thanks her and suddenly Susan takes this moment to tell Edie that she burnt her house down, <laughs> apologises and asks for forgiveness. This is a lot of information for Edie to take in and she reacts like what I think any normal person would do and she throws Martha's ashes and 
Susan's face. It's a bit of a stretch. Hey, what else? Are you, you've got the ashes in hand. What else are you going to do? Like, Susan comes up to you, a woman that you already do not really like, oh. and get, I burnt your house down. I'd throw the ashes in her face too. Oh, it's so funny. And he was, just, this was such a genuine moment. We have, I have a clip of it. Thank you, Susan. Edie, I burned your house down. Huh? I was scared that you were sleeping with Mike, and so I let myself in, and I, I snuck around. I, I accidentally knocked a candle over, and the whole... Just... I'm so sorry. Can you ever forgive me? Roll me back. Now. I love that scene so much. It's, it's a, it so is, funny. It's oh, it's disgusting. It's such her eyes is all over her face. It's in her mouth. Gross. Uh, These we, things always happen to Susan. Always Susan, but <laughs> she asks for it, and rightfully so. Yes. <laughs> so it. Mike apologizes for getting physical with Noah, and Noah apologizes for questioning Mike's commitment. Mike pulls out a photo of him and Deidre, telling Noah he keeps it with him wherever he goes to remind him of why he is there. If someone has hurt her, then Noah wants them dead, and he trusts Mike to take care of it, as Mike has already killed for her once what brand new information <laughs> mike, mike has, has killed, killed. <laughs> what's this i mean yeah there we go i love this photo oh that mike's got the hairstyle that i've got right now mike is rocking that 90s leonardo dicaprio look <laughs> same <laughs> <laughs> We need to get this photo for the Instagram as well. Yeah, I need to try and find this photo for the Instagram. I'm sure I'll find it. Oh, God. Did I just call it the Instagram? The Instagram. Oh, God. Get it for the Instagram. The Facebook. Oh, God. <laughs> so, we are back with Gabby, and she's leaving the house, and Carlos takes this moment to do something incredibly illegal, I would like to point out. Not that Carlos is above that. Um, he calls the pharmacy and orders a delivery of birth control pills. He then separates the foil from the plastic, removes the pills, swaps them with something else, and glues the pack back together. This like, is... it's reprehensible. That's the second time I've used that. This is so bad, Carlos. It's obviously a crime. I don't even know what the crime would be. I don't even know what they would call it if he was found out. I don't know. This is so unethical. But it's incredibly unethical. You and and Lynette are like out battling each other over who's the most unethical here. Yeah. And you're kind of winning. Yeah, I was about to say, I'd give it to Carlos. Yeah. (laughs) I'd give it to Carlos here. This is terrible. This is the worst thing. Literally the worst thing you can do. Gabby has made it very clear she doesn't want children. You made her a promise. That's why you got married. You have no control over that lady's body. No control over her body whatsoever. I don't care if you the man of the house. You can't even believe it. <laughs> okay. Terrible, Carlos. Moving on. Moving on. Susan and Edie are now back home, and Susan begs Edie to talk to her, so it appears the journey home has been pretty silent. Well, I mean, 90 miles of guilty Ooh, feelings. Yeah. Or, as our previous episode title, guilt feelings. Guilt feelings. <laughs> Susan is covered in Martha powder, and Susan oh. tells... <laughs> Tells Edie that she doesn't have to forgive her. She can go to the police, she can burn her house down, she can kick her, whatever, as long as she knows how sorry she is. Edie eventually tells Susan that she won't take it further, as it will just slow down getting the money from the insurance company, but she does want to be included more with the group. I like this scene. I, I mean, this one and the one before, you see that Edie and Susan could have a genuine friendship. They could have a genuine friendship. There are moments with them where they do get along and they do connect. Like, if things have played out differently, they could be friends. Yeah. I mean, Edie also misses a trick, because Susan offered Edie a free kick. <laughs> And I would have taken that offer. I'd have been like, sure. She also says, you can burn my house down, whatever. Yeah, right? Why would you offer that? Burn my house down. There you go. Just do it. I mean, I wouldn't say that as a joke to Edie. No, I really wouldn't say that as a joke to Edie. It's sweet, though. She just wants to be included. It is. It is sweet that she wants to be included. We've seen from previous episodes that she is frustrated and upset that she doesn't have a lot of female friends as well. Yeah, no, that's true. That is true. Susan gives her all of the details for the 
poker night, you know, Tuesdays, it's potluck. The audacity of Susan telling Edie that it's potluck, so everyone has to bring something, but Susan can't cook. So what did you bring, Susan? Cheese balls, onion rings? What? Yeah, she probably just picks packets of crisps. Yeah, it's like a family bag of crisps, Susan. And then Edie says, no, I'm not bringing anything. I won't bring anything. <laughs> How is Susan going to explain this to the other women? Oh, I don't Girls, know. Girls, it's time for me to come clean. I've invited Edie to poker, but she's not bringing anything, and I can't argue that because I burnt her house down, and I owe her. She'll make it all about her. She'll be like, sure. guys, this is my latest charity case. Oh, she will do that. Oh, God. Because I'm such a good person. Yeah, she probably would do that, to be fair. Um, and they'll eat her up. So, <laughs> Susan heads inside to wash Huber off of her. Edie doesn't like the sound of Huber just going down the drain, and instead she hoses Susan in her front garden so Mother Huber can be scattered there and she can watch the neighbourhood forever. Love it. It's a really sweet moment. It's a really sweet ending for Martha Huber. This, she, this is how she would want to be laid to rest. She would want a front row seat to Susan's life forever. I mean, just everyone's life. Yeah. She's like right on that lane where clearly there's eight seasons of Desperate Housewives. There's more drama coming. But specifically Susan's because in season one she seems to be the most scandalous. She does seem to be the most scandalous. Well, maybe a little bit behind Gabby actually. Well, true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Gabby had the affair. But then Susan did commit arson. Yeah. So... Swings and roundabouts. <laughs> the episode ends with Mary Alice discussing the inevitability of death, describing it as a promise given to each of us at birth for how we spend our lives waiting for something to happen to us, whether it's romance, family, or loss. But that not everyone has meaning to their lives, and instead they spend their time sitting and waiting for something to happen to them. And at the end of the episode, we see George sitting down alone to eat dinner whilst watching security camera footage of Brie. Oh, it's creepy. It's real creepy. It's very Norman Bates. Quite Norman Bates. Oh dear. So that is Everyday Little Death. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was episode 12, guys. It went very quickly. It did go very quickly. It was a very quick episode. <laughs> also, no golf jumpers from Brie this episode. No, there were no golf jumpers from Brie this episode. So bravo, Brie. That's two episodes in a row, isn't it? I think so. Oh, so we have to see how, how long she keeps this up. <laughs> so, Joel... Um, what would be your best outfit choice of the episode, please? So, I think it will go to Edie. Because when she's in, in mourning, Edie looks good in black. That was a very nice dress and she had the shawl over her shoulders. So she looked like quite classic. I, I enjoyed that. It really showed off her shape as well. Stunning. Stunning. But the worst outfit, I'm going to do this because I actually paid attention to her worst outfit this time. <laughs> I was focusing. The worst outfit is Susan at the very beginning when she... We see the police officer tell Felicia that uh, Martha's been found and then the camera pans to Susan coming out of the house to go to Mike's and her top is like green and pink and it looks like it's crocheted almost. It's gross. <laughs> Susan, burn it. I don't even care if Julie made that for you. Should but have she probably did. Should have left it in Edie's house as it was burning. It would have been great kindling. <laughs> That's about it. Anyway, I don't even think I need to ask who's the worst parent of the episode. Paul. Paul wasn't even in it. No. Was he, Paul in this episode? He was not, but he was credited. But he, him and Andrew and Tom Scarvo are not in this episode, even though they're credited. Are they? <laughs> Lynette. No surprise. I watched this episode a couple of days ago so I could just write the story. And even when I was writing the story without being around, I was like, well, it's obvious who his first parent's going to be. Do I have to go into it? I mean, she inadvertently <laughs> pretends that her child has cancer. Yeah. And leads him to believe that he's dying. Yeah. So this episode is called Every Day A Little Death. Yes. I don't really know how it goes. Is this title referring to how every single day there is something to do with death from episode one at least? Like Mary Alice died, committed suicide, and every episode there's been an effect, a way that that's passed over to other stories. And ever since Martha Huber's death, that's played a, a big element in the stories from then on. Is yeah. it something like that? I mean, possibly. This has this episode has been obviously very death-centric. You know, you've got Martha's body being found, so it's it's very much centered around that, but then just off to the side in its own like little moon, we should say, um, is Mike and what's happened to Deirdre, mm. uh, you know, her death if she died or whatever. So there's that whole mystery surrounding that as well. So there's just a little 
little bit of death in everyone's lives right now. Right now. And obviously Mary Alice ends the episode by discussing death as well. But it's just, it's not as obvious. What's the title? Yeah. Mm. As previous episodes have been, you know, with like Guilty and things like that. They've pretty much been, this is what this episode is about. This title in terms of the theme of the episode hasn't been as clear, has it? No, there's a little bit more subtlety to it. Yeah. This one. You'll have to think about yourselves. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, guys. Use your brains. Over to you guys. (laughs) So, yeah, that was that was the episode. Yeah, that was the episode. We did it. So, if anyone would like to contact us, because um, I would love to get some messages and just have a read, maybe include some in the episodes in the future or whatever. Yeah. Where can people find us? Where, what are our, our socials? So, our socials are Boyfriends Review on Instagram and BFS Review on Twitter. You can also email us. Our email is boyfriendsreview at outlook.com and all of our artwork is done by our friend Louis. You can find him on Instagram at docredmonkdesign, which also has a link to his Etsy page where he does commissions. He does. He does commissions and his artwork is incredibly good. I think we're halfway through season one now. So um, I think we're halfway there. Episode 12 and I believe there's 24 episodes. Okay. So yes, we are Half, halfway yeah, through. Halfway there. So exciting. we do need to start thinking about what we move on to next. So again, any ideas? From our way, and we will put them into the hat and see what we would like to do. Yeah, oh, 12 episodes. 12 episodes left, guys. That's like 12 hours of recording. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week, where we'll be doing episode 13, Your Fault. Sorry. <laughs> I think that... <laughs> um, yeah, so that will be our next episode that we do. <laughs> Roll in the questions. Roll in the trivia. Yes, so uh, thank you very much for listening, guys. Thank you. See Bye. You.